I'm sorry. All right. I'm going to put this to use. By the way, <laughs> call to order the uh, meeting of the Urban Forestry Council uh, for Friday, March 24th. Uh, or Peter call roll. Should we be using hmm? or from Kyle? Should we use the Yes. Okay. Yeah, my... Sorry for the delay. We were uh, having a little trouble meeting quorum, but here we go. Good morning. This is the meeting of San Francisco Urban Forestry Council. The date is Friday, March 24th. The time is 9.14 a.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your device is silenced. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-001, entering access code 2599275. 5285 and the meeting password SFGOV, SFGOV via dial in. Once connected, dial star 3 to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment via email to environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the members and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. Chair Sullivan? Here. Vice Chair Crawford? Here. Here. Member Vice Favel is absent. Member Nagel? Here. Member Sochi Flores? Here. Member Sullivan is excused. Member Spiegelman? is absent. Member Salvadori is excused. Member Trang? Here. Member Potter? Here. And Member Stringer is ex is here. Here. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. Uh, Chair Sullivan, we have a quorum. All right. Um, for item two, just chairs welcome. Uh, welcome back in person. It's so nice to see everybody here. And uh, just a couple of bumps getting going back in person, but hopefully Things will uh, be smoother going forward, and uh, it's just exciting to be back and like have real people in a room again. So welcome. All right, thank you, Andrew. I'll now read the land acknowledgement. Uh, the Urban Forestry Council acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramitush peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramitash community and to affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples. We honor the Ramitash Ohlone for their enduring commitment to steward Mother Earth. We recognize that the Ramitash Ohlone have lived in 
harmony with nature for millennia and that to achieve a truly ecological sustainable future for san francisco we must embrace indigenous traditional ecological knowledge in how we care for the city's lands waters and all of its people item three i think we Uh, we have to open that for public comment. Or I think that's out of place. Yeah. Uh, item three adoption of minutes of the February 28th, 2023 Forest Street Council meeting. Explanatory document uh, February 28th, 2023 meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and actions. I move to approve. Second. That's uh, a public comment. Public comment, uh, but I'll wait another. Anyone for public comment in the room? We move to the next item. Oh, there is no public comment. Can we move to the next item? Yeah. So um, I'll call roll again. Um, Chair Sullivan. Aye. Vice Chair Crawford. Aye. Watson. Aye. Absent, Member Nagel? Aye. Member Sochi Flores? Aye. Member Sullivan is excused. Member Spiegelman uh, is absent. Member Salvadori is excused. Member Trang? Aye. Member Potter? Aye. Finger? Aye. Motion passes. Uh, yeah, we can call the next item, please. All right, next item is general public comment. Members of the public may address the council on matters that are within the council's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Uh, once in person, comment has concluded, we proceed to remote public comment. There are no uh, members of the public or president in the room wish to speak. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Jesus, can you speak up a little bit when you- Am I not audible? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Is that, that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. All right. Um, seeing no further callers in the queue, public comment for this item is closed. Um, all right, if we can call item five. All right. Can we call item five? All right, yeah. Item five, discussion and possible action regarding the proposed resolution calling for a moratorium on the removal of trees subject to city jurisdiction. Speaker Joshua Cliff, community coordinator at Mission Verde. Explanatory document proposed resolution. Uh, this item is for discussion and action. Share the presentation from Josh. And the floor is yours, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, well, here we are. We made it. Um, I am grateful that there is a quorum this morning, and I appreciate the members of being here. So I'd like to thank the council, and particularly uh, Jesus Lozano, for this opportunity to speak to you today uh, outside of public comment. Today I'm going to present a document that I drafted that I informally refer to as a community-driven tree removal moratorium. I'll start with some background on my personal tree advocacy that led up to this document which I hope uh, will help you understand why I chose this particular tool of a community-driven resolution. Before I start, though, I want to take a moment to acknowledge what this city and our state has been through since the start of January 2023, including the loss and grief around the people who've lost their lives. And I want to acknowledge the loss and grief of all living beings that have died or been profoundly impacted by these unprecedented storms. The news is quick to share stories of human tragedy and endless photos of smashed vehicles. What often goes unseen, however, is additionally the loss of all the life that lay within those branches, not to mention the loss to our environment. Uh, what we have experienced is a far ranging tragedy. Uh, okay, so, um, sorry, I gotta forward two different computers here. So a little bit about me, since I'm the person that drafted this resolution, um, and I believe this is important because I hope it gives you some context as to why I'm in front of you today. So uh, I've been a lawyer for over 23 years. I practiced law as a public servant for 16, first working in the San Francisco Superior Court, then the Ninth Circuit, and then for the federal government. I specialized in employment law and specifically the Americans with Disabilities Act. After I left litigation, I founded my own access consulting firm and became a certified access specialist through California's Division of the State Architect, or a CASP, as some of you may have heard that term. I'm one of around 1,300 people in the state of California that's deemed certified to evaluate disability access in the built environment. The majority of my accessibility work is with Title II entities, mostly cities and counties. I primarily assess and advise on programmatic accessibility. So for instance, the accessibility of the meeting we are having here today. Don't worry, I won't give you any advice. Around 2010, I began volunteering for Friends of the Urban Forest. I showed up to so many Saturday morning tree plantings that eventually I was bribed into becoming a planting leader with the promise of a free hoodie. <clears throat> I decided to wear that very hoodie for you today, not because uh, I wanna be overly casual inside these hallowed halls, but because to me it represents the power of community action. Volunteering for FUF opened my eyes to the state of San Francisco's urban canopy. I've always loved trees and wondered deeply about the natural world around me. And I used to feel great after those Saturday mornings with FUF, like I'd done something good for our city. And I still do. But I also realized how few trees uh, San Francisco has and how difficult it is for them to make it in this city. 
It was around eight years ago, I was out walking my dog and came across a tree removal notice posted on a big healthy sycamore next to a construction site. On the notice, the reason for removal was simply listed as vault. This notice became my entry into the complex world of San Francisco tree canopy law, policy, and plans, which I'll talk about next. Before I do, however, I want to note that this particular sycamore is still standing because I informed myself about vaults, the city's vault placement schedule, and alternative vault placement locations. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about a few concepts, all of which speak not only to my approach to advocacy, but track through the document that I am presenting to you today. Uh, as an attorney, when I approach an issue, one of the first questions I ask is, what does the law say? The law often drives everything else and governs how we manage our city assets. So starting in 2018, I worked for a year and a half with the Bureau of Urban Forestry to draft provo proposed revisions to Public Works Code Article 16 to strengthen the weaknesses in that law. Around 2020, the Board of Appeals grew so weary of my tree removal permit appeals, noting the lack of tree protection, that they wrote a joint letter with Public Works to the Board of Supervisors asking the supervisors to strengthen that law. In between all of this, I had countless meetings with those supervisors regarding urban forestry management that culminated in a few committee meetings, a budget and legislative analyst report, and ultimately the 2022 amendments to Public Works Code Article 16. Other than the Public Works Code, there are no city codes regarding tree planting or protection, only policies and plans. So a quick look at those policies and plans. <clears throat> Through my advocacy work, I learned about the 2014 Urban Forest Plan, which called for 50,000 new street trees by 2034. That would have been an average net of additional 2,500 trees per year, or by the end of this year, an additional 22,500 trees along our public rights of way. As this Council's 2022 Urban Forest Report noted, however, since the tree census of 2017, we have actually net lost 1,263 trees. So this brings me to the Climate Action Plan. Prior to 2021, there was very little mention of trees in any climate action strategy. Much of the climate action strategy centered on transportation and hardscape. But in 2019, the city declared a climate emergency. And in a meeting I had with Supervisor Mandelman around that time, and he was one of the sponsors of that declaration, he said, Josh, this is your opportunity to get trees into that plan. So I took him up on that. I attended commission meetings, committee meetings, community meetings, all lobbying for the inclusion of trees, both to be protected and planted. And I was at City Hall where the final climate action plan was introduced to the Board of Supervisors by then Director Raphael. I remember she went, she gave a brief intro on the plan's highlights and then went out of her way to emphasize the need to plant more trees. And this was the first time anything specific around trees was part of the city's climate action plan. So we've got laws, we've got policies, and now we get to the bottom line, which is of course funding. It's striking to me how few people understand when they voted for Prop E and its annual $19 million set aside that none of that money was for tree planting. I remember learning this myself in a conversation with Supervisor Peskin. A little while later, I had lunch with Mark Leno and I asked him how this could have happened. His unofficial take was that Scott Weiner, the drafter of the proposition, figured the tail would wag the dog. That at some point, the second part of this effort would be a proposition that would also set aside money for tree planting. And that never happened. And as your 2022 Urban Forest Report notes, at the current rates of funding, we will not even be able to keep up with the rate of removal, let alone gain ground with respect to our urban canopy. Traditionally, the Board of Supervisors hasn't allotted much money for tree plantings and replacements, 
but last year, for the first time in many years, the board didn't give Public Works a dime to plant trees citywide. There were a couple pet projects in various districts that included some trees, but literally that's it. And since tree planting has zero dollars and tree removal has 19 million, that means we will continue to lose trees. And I just want to finish this slide by referring back to the revisions made to Article 16 early last year, one of which was Supervisor Safai's contribution requiring tree replacements within 120 days in locations closest to where trees were removed. And if replacements couldn't be made, presumably due to funding, Public Works needed to keep a running chronological list of those. I single out this requirement because if and when there is ever funding dedicated to replanting, then by law, it has to go to those places first regardless of the city's environmental justice policies, which makes it all the more important that we preserve trees as called for in this document, because by preserving trees, we free up funding to plant according to our environmental justice goals, not simply prioritize places where trees already came out. So I've just given you a brief overview of some of the advocacy efforts to date, and despite all of these efforts, our canopy has only declined. But the real breaking point started this past January with the onslaught of storm after storm, all the way up to earlier this week where our city, city literally became a tree disaster area, and Mother Nature is not done yet. You cannot walk down a city block without seeing a downed tree, torn branches, or a freshly vacated tree basin. It's carnage. And this is what finally drove me to the creation of this resolution, because despite an urban forest plan, despite a climate action plan that includes trees for the first time, despite exhausting advocacy work that led to the creation of slightly stronger laws and the timeless work of tireless work of volunteers doing whatever they can to protect and grow our urban canopy, it's not enough. And it just got exponentially worse. So one night I wrote up this resolution and all I did was create a chronology of the city's tree canopy failures based on its own record of inaction, citing to the urban forest plan and moving forward through there, through all the elements I just spoke of, law, policy, and budget. I am assuming you've all read the resolution, uh, so I'll skip to how it concludes, which is as of January, 2023, the city of San Francisco is now behind by thousands of trees as called for in the urban forest plan, has no policy around tree preservation and replacement as called for the climate action plan, and lacks the apparent budgetary and personnel resources to achieve the mandates called for in both of those plans. I would note that this conclusion statement was drafted before you reached your 20, before you issued your 2022 urban forest report, which essentially reached the same conclusion. And that both this resolution and your report were written before any conclusion to these storms, which turned our sidewalks into these scenes of tree carnage. So to the extent this council acts upon this resolution, I would ask that it minimally include up to current day. And this is what the resolution calls for. It's, it's pretty simple. Pending the dedication of adequate resources to comply with the 2000 urban for, 2014 urban forest plan, comply with the urban canopy mandates related uh, in the 2021 climate action plan, replace trees lost during the January 2023 storms, and align with the city's tree planting priorities to ensure environmental justice. It calls for a moratorium on the removal of any additional trees that are subject to city jurisdiction that do not pose a threat or hazard to human safety. That's it. We've lost enough. 
there must be no more loss until the city does what it said it was going to do. Here's a list of the current, and I say current because it's ongoing, uh, signatory organizations. These organizations represent interests citywide and district specific. Um, I don't wanna read all of them, uh, but I know there are people on the phone, so, um, but I think they probably already have a copy of that, so I won't go over it again. Uh, but I, I would just point out that anyone who's tried to get anything done in this city knows how hard it is to get people to agree on anything. I was personally surprised and moved by the support for this resolution. What it shows to me is that anyone who has shown a recent history of San Francisco's failures around tree canopy agree that this is unsustainable. We cannot go on doing what we, were, what we are doing. And the recent storms have drawn incredible attention to this. And here's my request of this council. Support this resolution with your own resolution. Your own urban forestry report backs the assertions in this document. By taking independent action, you amplify our voice and you give it further legitimacy in our fight to protect and grow our canopy. And you show these community organizations that you hear their concerns and you share them. Second, ride this momentum and be the tree warriors we need you to be. You are the only official group of city leadership dedicated to speaking for our trees. How often does a document cross your inbox with this many San Franciscans who agree on something. Now is the time that the people, the critters, and the environment of San Francisco need you to take a loud stand on everything I just presented, law, policy, and critically, funding. And now you can do it knowing there is a small army of community organizations behind you. And finally, learn from this tree carnage. Stand in humble awe of the surviving trees. Learn from them and put what you learn into practice. Protect them, replicate their success, and get creative to do what must be done to build a San Francisco of resilient life for generations to come. Before I finish, I wanna share one more thing. After years of city advocacy and seeing our canopy continue to shrink, I decided, me, Josh, I just wanted a piece of land with trees that the city couldn't touch a place where only Mother Nature could touch the trees. So in November 2020, my wife and I got a piece of land in the Eastern Sierras, and in July 2021, Mother Nature touched those trees in the form of the Beckworth Complex fire. This is a photo of me on the mountainside a few days after we were allowed back into the area. The ground was still smoldering, trees were charred, in some instances, all the way up to the top of their canopies. Some trees burnt so hot that they burnt through the roots leaving giant holes in the ground that looked like dinosaur footprints. And something else I'd never known, you could audibly hear the trees trying to pump sap to their wounds. It looked, felt, sounded, and smelled like death. And then two weeks later, my dad died. So there are a few words for the depths of my grief during that time. But even as the forest smoldered and I had to watch my dad's funeral online, I remember his lesson that stuck with me throughout my life that it is our responsibility to leave this world better than we found it. And so I allowed myself to grieve, but that grief did not stand in the way of my action. In the fall of 2021, I planted over 100 seedlings, the first of which was an incense cedar you see here on the left. In the spring of 2022, I collected over 1,200 gallons of snow melt and used that to hand water those trees every week until the snow started to fall in November. 
Additionally, I planted another 100 seedlings and hundreds of seeds with my friend and Mission Verde, Mission Verde co-founder, Kendra Sharik. And every time I came across a naturally occurring seedling, like the middle photo you see here, I gave it a blanket of mulch and added it to my hand-watering list. And in between all this, I took a page from the urban forest plan, got a wood mill, and milled some of the most precarious burnt trees for lumber. And I don't say any of this to brag. I say this to make the point that we must not allow our grief over the loss of all these city trees to prevent our action. We are capable of doing difficult, complicated things. Our world needs us to rise to this occasion. And the number one thing I learned from the wildfire is that Northern nature wants to grow. She is life and life does not give up. But when we stomp a city down on her natural existence, then it becomes our responsibility to give her the support that she needs. And when it comes to trees, it doesn't take much, and this resolution is just a start. I thank you for listening, and I look forward to your questions. Thanks, Josh. Um, I'm sure others have questions. Um, one thing I wanted to just um, ask on the resolution itself, um, the summary you gave um, had a statement about um, beyond emergency removals mandate the um, yeah trees under city's jurisdiction because I know that there's a lot of debate around private and then trees that are hazard or right. uh, threat to human. I don't yeah. know if I've got a different version of this. I mean, in the therefore in the like section nine, I didn't see that part part of the. Um, mm. Is there a copy over here? There's a copy over there, yeah. There's an extra copy right here. I don't know if this is an older version or a different version, but if I'm missing something. Eight and item nine. Yeah, it's it's under paragraph nine. The undersigned respectfully call for more time on the removal of any additional trees. It's it's bolded right there. Got before it. The, okay, I'm sorry. I thought. It oh was no, no problem. Part of the statement of the therefore. Mm -hmm. So yeah, got it. Um, and then to that, I, I was curious, um, especially you being a lawyer and all the experience <laughs> in uh, fighting tree removals and all. Um, I was curious, like as a on the other side of the coin, the folks who are you know, whoever it might be, a developer or other you know, homeowners or whoever might be trying to remove a tree for whatever reason they deem reasonable and necessary. Is there, is that exposing city to any kind of uh, action by parties that think that there is an overstep or that, I mean, you know, assuming that, assuming that the city tried to, you know, accept, uh, uh, adopt a moratorium, uh, does that, um, are there other challenges or issues with um, that folks who say they, there's a legal pathway that should be allowed for them to remove? I think Nick could tell you there's there's no right to remove a tree. Yeah. It's, you know, if, if it's a city, it's a, a tree under city jurisdiction, yeah. and that breaks out into a few parts, right? Because jurisdiction is, um, in this city, it's a little bit complicated because multiple uh, departments um, have trees within their purview. But let's just say, let's break it down to two, for instance. Let's say Rec and Park and Public Works. Those are the two big main players, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Rec and Park isn't gonna come across that issue because no one's gonna be seeking to remove a tree uh, that's under their jurisdiction, it's a park, 
right? So they, they have total control over that. And to the extent that it would be a danger, right, then would presumably not keep up a dangerous tree. But to the extent that they're perhaps planning a new tennis court, right. uh, maybe they could figure out a way to do that without removing trees. That was so, be my question. Something like, you know, are they expanding a, par a playground or something? And, right. Yeah. Right. So that, that's Rec Park. And Public Works, um, you know, that's the Article 16. There's that very robust-ish process. Um, but it's still discretionary. And Public Works uh, has the ability to push back. And uh, to the Bureau of Urban Forestry's credit, they have been pushing back more in the last year or so, um, specifically on trees that are proposed for removal, healthy trees that are proposed for removal for things like driveways, um, which would result in the permanent uh, loss of a, per of a tree basin permanently. So Public Works has the ability to do that. No one has a right to remove a tree. So, you know, but. They can even appeal that, and the Board of Appeals could certainly, you know, they are an independent um, body. They exercise independent jurisdiction. So they could overrule public works, and they do. So it's just a statement. It's certainly not removing a right. I just, sorry, were you next? No. Oh, just to, to go off of what you were saying with the um, uh, like other parties, I think one thing that comes up is, uh, like the pressure to to add housing mm -hmm. and folks will say like this project is um, you know contributing to the housing supply it needs to happen and then our pushback is can you find another way to do this without removing the tree and then they you know go back and say it's impossible for X Y Z reasons and I think that's been one issue where we're not building experts and that there's not really a, a party that can step in and say, we found a better way to like build your project without impacting trees. And right. I, I, that is a gap that I, I don't really have a solution for. Yeah, but it's, it's a simple thing to do. I mean, as a landscape architect, I do it all the time where you're looking and analyzing a site for the ways that you can, you know, find those opportunities or, but. Well, and to Nick's point, it's not like I, that's why I went through that exhaustive history. It's not like I'm leading with a community resolution. There's been a lot, a lot of work around here and nothing's changing. It's getting worse. And so the whole point of this was to, to ask for a principled stand um, to force this issue, to force it up to planning, for instance, who makes these decisions years before the Bureau of Urban Forestry is really allowed to get involved in a meaningful way. I had a question for. Josh, but I think it's really a question for us. So I know it's misdirected, but my understanding is that what has been happening over the last few years was the result of decades of deferred maintenance and that Bureau of Urban Forestry has been focusing on assessing and then removing trees that are in their view in poor condition. That was the worst first approach correct somebody correct me if i have that totally wrong okay right. yeah. so my question then is to what extent is this tree loss that we've been seeing in the last few years because of that and i will say we all or at least those of us who were here when the that approach was presented kind of i, I don't think approved is the right word but we didn't oppose that approach even though it, we knew i certainly knew that it would result in some blocks having many of their trees removed so I'm sort of wondering, 
to what extent are we seeing kind of a, a an outcome of essentially decades of, of not having trees maintained and not having trees that m would have come out earlier are all coming out at the same time now um, versus some of these sort of more structural problems where trees get removed to broaden driveways and things yeah. like that. Um, and I don't know. I, and again, that's not I'm sorry. I'm asking no, you. no. I, I mean, look. But I think we, it's a, it's a, at least something we should think about. Like, so so prior to Prop E, so prior to the city taking on that deferred maintenance, that was in 2017 when Prop E was made law. Um, we had our 2014 urban forest plan. So in the 2014 urban forest plan, it notes that we have the smallest urban canopy of any major city in the United States. So we were already starting out way behind any other city in the country. And I agree with you that Prop, 7, Prop E, now Street Tree SF, um, does in fact, uh, that sort of by its nature would necessarily remove more than you're planting. What I would note is, you know, your, your, your urban forestry report, which shows, so it's been six years now, and we've had the urban forest plan for nine years, we haven't made any progress. We're, we're, we're sliding. So, it, you know, we can say that it's sort of set up to fail, but that means we need to do something. That's what I'm trying to, that's the point I'm trying yeah. to make is that it is set up to fail. And I do, I would agree. I mean, I understand the kind of worst first approach and um, it's gotta be kind of like a both and or something. And, you know, because I think, and I know there's staffing issues and all of these other challenges, but, you know, you can remove and replace at the same time or remove and keep planting, but. Uh, absolutely, I'm, I'm not opposed. I'm trying to, yeah. trying to mentally bias, work out what it is, like where the, the because let, let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's say we pass the resolution and the next thing that happens, every single tree that gets removed is deemed a hazard, <laughs> right? Like. Anytime somebody wants to remove a tree, they deem it a hazard. Now, whether it's Bureau of Urban Forestry because it's part of their their maintenance, I, I think we're done. I, ho I hope we're done with the worst. But again, they're always, you know, just look at what's happening now. So I, I'm wondering if this is sort of the, the, if this will apply the kind of pressure that will make a difference. I guess that's that's sort of my my question. And of course we can't know or we probably can't know in advance. But I'm kind of wondering what where it is we're we're slipping. Maybe we're slipping everywhere. But my sense is we're slipping in the planting um uh uh I, planting well, side. But you, you you know what what is your opinion, Josh? Where we're I mean we're slipping in in, in both. We're slipping in protection because you know I think Let's take UCSF as an example of that, where they are, they now, you know, they have a permit to take out 28 trees, 22 of which are big and healthy with a total, all those trees have a total trunk diameter of 561 inches. That's four feet of tree trunk, four stories of tree trunk that came out and there was no consideration of that in the, in the planning. And, and so I think it's, in, I think it's both. I think it's an issue of protection because there is almost no protection for trees in the city at all. The only minor form of protection is in Public Works Code Article 16, 
giving Buff the ability to deny or grant a permit. And even then, it doesn't talk about, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go into protection in any great detail. And so I think it's both. It's protection and it's planting. Because we have an urban, we had an urban forest plan before we had Prop E. And there was no money dedicated to that. We could have been ahead of the game by the time Prop E came around. But we're not because we, ne we made a plan and we never put any money toward it. Okay, so, and I'll shut up after this comment. <laughs> That's sort of what I'm what I'm trying to get at is I'm all for tree protection. I'm I'm not like I'm not disagreeing with the 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 underlying idea here. I'm simply wondering if that will then kind of slip the way our other things have slipped, because really where the the major big hole is pun intended is in the planting and we're nowhere near matching the losses with the planting largely because correct me if i'm wrong fellow council members because we don't have the funding for it and i'm not sure that this approach really addresses that i'm not saying the approach is wrong i'm just wondering I think I think the, the the way it's written, I'm assuming the way I interpreted, they're pending like the actual adoption of an enforcement of the of the urban forest plan, the climate action plan, which have specific goals around planting, then the associated funding oh. pending that there's exactly a request for a moratorium. Okay. So they're saying don't remove unnecessary trees until you have a plan until you're in alignment with all of your what you said you're supposed to be doing right. as it relates to funding for new trees. Right. Yeah, okay. Stop so taking need... them out until you start doing what you said you were going to do to put them in. Right. 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 Can I ask um, which with your plan for issuing the uh, the resolution once you get all parties on board or just keep pushing it the way I push it as a community advocate. Yeah. So put it everybody put it in front, of, in front of everybody you can. At this I point. submit it to public comment at the tree removal hearings. I submit it to the board of appeals when there's a tree permit on their docket. I submit it you know to the to members of the Board of Supervisors that I have a relationship with. Let's try to get somebody to pay attention. Hi, Josh. Uh, thanks for your presentation. Um, my name is Spencer Potter, and I work for the Rec and Park Department in the Natural Resources Division. And um, I want to describe a couple instances when we do have to do tree removals that do not have, there. there's not a hazard. Um, and you'll understand a lot of this language as an attorney. Um, we, for example, have a remediated rifle range on our property where um, we have a land use covenant with the Department of Toxic Substances Control. And the land use covenant that, um, describes that we actually have to remove trees from a remediated cap because trees, if the, if the roots go down two feet or lower, it could, it could puncture the cap and uh, lead and antimony and other toxic chemicals could be released out into the environment. So that's an instance where, you know, there, this, this moratorium would be, is, is too broad to probably capture that instance where we actually have to keep trees for, for out of that cap for legal reasons. Um, that's one example. Uh, another example is um, our natural resources division, which manages about a, a quarter of the Rec and Park Department's property. We, you know, our, our mission as a division uh, is to preserve 
the, the native habitat, the remnant native habitat in San Francisco, uh, which, you know, is a diverse sort of um, palette of diff different land types. You know, there's, 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 there's places that were previously just, just grassland. There's places that were rocky outcrop or, um, you know, dune scrub. And we have a, you know, huge number of invasive trees that are coming in and trying to actually, um, you know, degrade, they're, they're degrading our habitat actively. And we do have to remove these trees like eucalyptus, acacia, other invasive plants that would come in and that would actually destroy that habitat if we didn't remove them. Um, and we remove them in order to preserve the native habitat and the biodiversity of our city. You know, here in San Francisco, we're at a biodiversity hotspot um, that's articulated very well um, in the Climate Action Plan, Healthy Ecosystems Chapter, and Biodiversity Resolution, and um, you know, various other. Uh, the Green 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 Buildings Code was just updated to to have a, a biodiversity component. Um, uh, Peter, what's the name? Sorry, I'm blanking. The, um, Green building code, excuse me, the green building code has a, has a biodiversity uh, checklist now, is that what it's called? Biodiversity guidelines, excuse me. Um, so there's, there's several places that our city has committed ourselves to biodiversity conservation. And uh, in order to maintain that standard in, in many instances, the natural resources division, I think a lot of other entities up here who, who do that type of work, uh, we have to remove trees from those, those areas. And that would not be captured by the broad language in this moratorium that you're proposing. We wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, we couldn't make an argument that we're moving those trees for health and human safety. Um, there's other instances where, where trees, um, you know, our arborist crew might determine that a tree is sick and doesn't pr propose some sort of immediate threat to help health, but it could fall in the future. Um, you know, a lot of the pines in our system are, are, are sick and are dying and uh, we can't, um, you know, if we had to comply with the moratorium along these lines and make an, make a, you know, an argument that there was some sort of immediate threat to health and safety, uh, we wouldn't be able to, you know, in the long term, you know, manage our forest in the way that is in the best public interest. So those are just a few examples of why the resolution is written um, doesn't allow us the discretion to meet our, um, you know, our legal requirements, our duty to the public, or really our long term sort of management goals for our system. So um, I think a moratorium like this would have to be more narrowly tailored to allow for these sorts of things. Additionally, I will mention that there are some there are some legal obstacles here. Um, the city charter uh, mentions, and I think it's section four. Let me let me, let me pull it up. Uh, the city charter delegates to the San Francisco Rec and Park Commission uh, the the duty to sort of sort to manage its lands and it has has that sole authority. And so I think that I believe that in order to take that away, in order to have a moratorium, there might need to be a charter amendment. I know the port also has a has a portion of the of the charter that that um that that authority is delegated to the port commission. So um I think there are some other uh you know that this would need to be talked to probably by looked looked at by a city attorney. Um I, I'm also an attorney but not a city attorney. So uh so that there there need to be that that kind of work that need to be done I think in order for this moratorium to go through. Yeah, so this is just a resolution. Um, it's not a new law, and this council has issued resolutions in the past, and those don't carry the force of law. To the extent you want to narrowly, narrowly that's a mouthful, narrowly tailor it, 
Um, basically, all you need to do is add another couple words to the end saying, and uh, you know, not hazardous uh, city jurisdiction and uh, not in conflict with existing law. That would be it. Um, I, the rifle, and that, I think that would be kind of to the rifle range uh, question or issue that you raise. Regarding native habitats, um, you know, I do understand that that is part of the climate action plan and so is tree planting. And these things can all exist at once. And so if the concern is that, well, we need to take out trees to meet our biodiversity and native habitat requirements, then step up your tree planting as well. It's not hard, it doesn't conflict. But the climate action plan doesn't conflict with itself. These are, all of this is in the climate action plan. We just need to increase the one that we're not doing, which is planting trees. That goes to, to um, you know, Igor's point, whereas I think the issue might in some ways be planting, not removal. Um, uh, that, that might be the real pinch point. Um, well, and my, my point is, how are we doing on that? We're failing. And so what else, what's it gonna take for somebody to stand up and pay attention? because we're not doing that. Your own reports show we're not doing that. And so this is an effort to say, okay, how extreme do we have to get here for someone to pay attention? And if that means it creates the seeming conflict within the climate action plan, we should ask ourselves what we're doing to have created that conflict or what we're not doing, because we can do all of these things at once. Comments? Uh, just to weigh in from the public works perspective, I don't think this would have a big impact on our uh, urban forestry operations because we've already calibrated our removals pretty specifically. Uh, when we started out with the program, we had the most removals in the second year, and then it's been tapering off. Uh, we had some internal uh, calibration that we had to do. I think there was an impression that we wouldn't be back in this key map for five or seven years. So if it's gonna die between now and then, we should just take it out now and then we'll plant behind. The planting behind is not happening. So we're now trying to hold on to trees for as long as we can. And we, we've told our staff, like, don't worry. If it's gonna die in two years, we can come back and deal with it as a hazard tree. At that point, there's no need to sort of project Oh, this tree is going to die soon, so we should take it out now. So, we we call it our shabby trees. I think uh, our interim director Carla coined the term. So we we love our shabby trees and we hold on to them for as long as possible. Uh, and a lot of that's driven by the the, the planting uh, really lagging behind. But uh, as far as like proposing discretionary removals, our bureau is not doing that. We've, uh, we are sticking to removing uh, hazard trees or unsafe trees. Uh, and then we we are uh, usually denying proposed removals at the staff level if, uh, if the tree is healthy. And then it, it goes to a hearing, they make their case. I think that perhaps this moratorium could have an impact at that hearing level and certainly at the Board of Appeals level where we, we have even more force behind those denials. But I, um, as a reader of this for the first time, I thought, what is this? What's this about? What are they trying to tell us? And then I, I've 
taking some more time to absorb that. And I don't think it has much of an impact uh, for me, but I, um, I think that just before I hop off the mic here, I, I got this and I was really impressed by how many people signed on to this. And then uh, I think it came in on like a Wednesday or a Thursday before a Friday meeting as a public comment. And I thought, Oh, there's so much work that went into this. It got sent out broadly collected tons of signatures. Um, we try to get documents signed internally and we call it bird dogging, trying to get people to, can you sign this? Uh, so I, I know how much work went into this. I just wanted to acknowledge that, that uh, it's a pretty incredible message and I appreciate what you put into this. Uh, yeah, it is a lot of work. Um, I've been to a lot of community neighborhood meetings. I've talked to a lot of um, community leadership. Um, and it's exhausting how many meetings I've been to, how many questions I field, how far afield some of the questions are, really trying to um, help people understand. And I thought the simplest way to help people understand was to simply create a chronology of city, the city record. Um, so thank you for that uh, acknowledgement. <clears throat> um, I, and I also want to add, though, that there, this does have utility for the Bureau of Urban Forestry because it gives you another reason to push the issue. It gives you another tool. And I'll give an example, which is, again, let's say UCSF. Now, that permit was initially approved um, with the promise of a two-to-one planting. It was not a plan. It was not funded. It was literally a PDF. And depending on which PDF you looked at, the numbers were different. Um, so you're taking out four feet, four stories, why do I keep saying four feet, four stories of tree trunk and putting in 56 of these, 56 one and a half inch saplings. That is a 20%, 20 percent, 20 percent, putting back in 20 percent of what you took out, an 80 percent reduction in DBH in one neighborhood. Um, and, and that permit was, was granted on just that promise. And I appealed that. And the Board of Appeals was horrified by that permit. That the city would grant something so big with so little in return. And they continued the matter for eight weeks for UCSF and me and Public Works to talk and come up with something better. And that was some of the eight worst weeks of my life because I felt vilified in that process. I felt like I was the bad guy. But the end result was that, as you know, um, the Bureau of Urban Forestry went out and did an appraisal, which was allowed under the law. All of this was just following the law. There was nothing exceptional about the result. It was just the, what the law allowed for. And at the end of the day, it was these trees were valued at $380,000. And UCSF took a portion of that to plant their 56 trees, to put out an RFP to get, I don't know who's going to do it, probably Fuff, uh, to plant 56 trees around that neighborhood. And the other quarter million was a check that was handed to you 
to plant another 100 or so trees around the city in the next three years. That would not have happened if I had not filed that appeal. This moratorium gives you cover to push for that, gives you the ability to hold this up and say, hey, look, giant developer, we believe in your project, housing, hospitals, whatever, we believe in what you're doing. And the community thinks this is a problem. The community is behind us. How can you do better than a PDF promising this much? It gives you cover for that. I'm not saying you have to deny it, but it gives you the opportunity. It puts you in a better negotiating position to do better for the people of San Francisco who are asking you to do just that. Yeah, uh, thank you, Josh, for um, all the advocacy work you've done to push us forward. Um, I, I, I'm in support of this. I really do think that the community, the, I was really impressed with the coalition in who signed the, the resolution. So I, I definitely feel that a lot of what is being brought up again is just stuff that's already passed. It's stuff, like you said, you, you're just connecting all the dots again um, so that we can have uh, a refresher for everyone because I feel um, some of these points get lost in time and COVID also kind of slowed the element of urgency. Um, and uh, this is uh, the refresher plus the, just hearing just the, some of the personal advocacy you've done just really shows that this um, is is still urgent is still needed um and uh people of, of san francisco are asking for this they're asking us to follow through with what we've already passed and so um you know it i feel if it comes down to like law parts that's where the board of supervisors comes in but they've already uh approved our uh, climate action plan which already gives us a framework to move forward so um there needs to be there's already a sense of coalition building. It's just how do we continue to support what people are asking for? So, leave it at that. There's not any more kind of comment or discussion. Just a final question. And again, Bell's advocate here. Um, if let's say we agree on the planting side that we're really slipping up on the on the planting uh, uh, side of things, um, where do you think or who do you think is the most impactful group to kind of push on that issue? And what I'm trying to get at is, would it be impactful to somehow try to move the board of supervisors? On, on, on the issue of there is no funding for planting and we can't really, like we can't squeeze blood out of a rock at this point. So we need we don't dedicated, predictable, serious funding for planting. Um, just wondering what your thought is. Um, I, I wouldn't call it blood out of a rock. We have a $14 billion annual budget. We have the big, biggest budget of any, <laughs> we have the smallest canopy and the biggest budget of any major city in the US. So what I would say is that um, 
you know, I, I guess I wouldn't characterize it that way because it's not. This is literally the cheapest, most effective thing you can do for the environment is plant trees. Sorry, just, just to sure. clarify. No, I agree with you. Sure, <laughs> I think sure. there isn't a, a line now that provides that planting fund. And that's, So that's what I'm saying. We're mm -hmm. trying to kind of discuss how to get the planting sure. well, what I'm, some other way. And I'm thinking, well, should we simply go and say, look, there's got to be dedicated planting funding? Well, you've done that. Yeah. And, and, and my point is apparently the message isn't getting through. Right. And so perhaps the message will get through if developers, for instance, feel like there's going to be a little more resistance. Perhaps developer once you know planning that is funded largely on developer fees, well, maybe the board of supervisors will pay a little more attention to this need for planting money if they think that construction projects might be slowed down because the community is pushing back on tree removal. I mean, we've we've been asking. <laughs> no, I, I got you. I'm not disagreeing. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm I'm saying maybe we need to make that connection between this resolution and the increased funds for planting clearer than clear. Well, like, are you saying that uh, section be added to the resolution? I, I'm not suggesting, I'm, I'm simply, I'm again, I'm, I'm, I'm not wordsmithing the resolution because I'm clearly not the right person to do so. I'm simply saying as a, as a kind of general feel of it, what are you asking for? Well, we're asking you to stop removing trees. Okay, that's fine. Certainly in support of that. But we're doing that in part because we want to point to, the, to our continued inability to fund tree planting at a sustainable, substantive level. That would allow us to preserve canopy. Right. That's what it says. Yeah. yeah it, that's how I re That's what it says. That, okay. I, I mean, just it's, it's the city's own policies okay. is related in the okay. is, is written in the in the urban forestry plan and it's the city's own policies and climate action plan. That you know then and so I mean I think we as a council have pushed the issue with soups and mayor and written letters the one that recently went went out to them highlighting exactly this this is your goal you're like way below you're you're going in the wrong direction and there's no money so change that but right right okay, so you. this is just basically a, a different approach to the same issue so, um you want just one quote thank you for your presentation it's really helpful to see it in this context. Um, presuming that we're going to talk about adopting this or not, what I, I didn't fully get how how we might address Spencer's concerns in, in there. And I, I think it would be much more palatable if, if we had that nuance uh, uh, addressed. And I think we can do that. I think I think I was going to open it up and see, if, you know, what kind of if people are in uh, uh, want to vote on and i don't think it's uh, i think it's uh, endorsement of the uh resolution and i think one option is that we either uh vote to endorse and you know presumably we would have the urban forestry council myself or jesus someone sign the the, the resolution in support or um i think we can also uh write our own kind of resolution or some similar kind of statement that we would endorse or what i i think we could probably also you know you're the lawyer josh but um not the city attorney though uh, 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 vote to endorse with the you know caveat or an additional statement to to the um to the uh uh 
to the resolution, and that would be, I think, some language that we could write right uh, include right now that would address other kind of city agencies and concerns. Well, I feel like Josh's response to my concerns addressed two of the three examples that I gave. The um, the one related to uh, you know local laws and regulations, city. This you know in the example I gave is state law, um, and then also the um, the one related to uh, hazard of yeah hazard ha or or I can't remember what the other ones, but the 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 one that the one that I did not hear adequately represented or uh, or or addressed is the one related to to native species yeah. management and biodiversity conservation. I mean, uh, I I I see. I'm not sure how to get around that with some sort of, um, you know, revision. I mean, th there needs natural resources managers need the discretion to remove uh, invasive trees from 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 native native habitat. Uh, that's a big part of our natural resources division's work is um, taking out, you know, eucalyptus and things like that that are uh, spread really fast um, and if left unchecked would would completely degrade a lot of the natural ecosystems in the city that are already under tremendous pressure from elsewhere um and uh and these these sorts of problems sort of evolve over time too so i'm i'm concerned about you know what what new sort of tree trees might pop up in our lands that we might need to address in the future so if we itemized you know certain exceptions or something like that in here i feel like that that might be um Something we'd have to address in the future as well. So one, I, one, one thing I just I, like to... I just I, I don't I don't know I, I haven't heard a satisfying response to that that, that to try to square those two problems. If, if I may, um, one thing I would point out is that the urban forest plan, in terms of planting, doesn't actually apply to you because that only applies to public works. Um, and I think you know you could go through the aspects of the urban forest plan. Um, and see what even applies to you. I presume everyone on this council is already familiar with the urban forest plan. So um, there is no one for one requirement to the parks in the urban forest plan that only applies to public works. So to the extent that this is asking for enforcement of existing plans, it's just asking for enforcement of existing plans. It's not asking you to stop doing what you're doing. It's asking that you do what you said you were gonna do. We actually do in our strategic plan, the Rec and Park. Uh, then it wouldn't plan, apply to we, you. We, we do have a uh, a planting re replacement ratio. I think it's two to one. We in That's the last cool. couple of years, yes. the last couple of years, we've exceeded that by quite a lot. I think last year it was six to one. We replanted. So, um, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well in terms of the parks replanting. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll just mention. I I um I do think just a small point that it does specifically say sorry city jurisdiction which is i think broad could be interpreted broadly and again it's a resolution yeah i'm not concerned about that but i would say well, we i think we could vote to um to endorse and include language that relates specifically to either climate action plan or to city um existing city um uh requirements and plans for habitat preservation and biodiversity or something like that and then um, I don't we just have to come up with that sentence and, you know, it would be in our, in our, in our endorsed version, it would just be an amended sentence to, uh, the, um, item nine, the, the, therefore. Were you, does that seem. I, I'd, I'd want to see the text. I mean, I, I, I don't want to just riff on it right now, you know, without knowing what, what, what we're voting to endorse. 
then do we want to um like move to write that up and have like vote on that at the next council meeting or um i don't want to like you want it to be thoughtful but I, we don't have a meeting next month right yeah so this Not is like two months out before we may indoors um i'm sorry we could we could write it in in planning and funding we can have it for next meeting i'm just saying if we don't try to if we don't take action today then it's may so i don't want to push everybody if you're not comfortable if we don't want to uh force the issue we can have something written and circulated ahead of next meeting um or um, i'm just opening it up to conversation to discussion if we want to take action now absolutely bring it to planning and funding or we can take action now um either I, either is peter did you say we had to um the uh a vote a vote is also um eight for it's not just a majority of who's sitting here today right yeah no yeah okay there we go yeah so uh in order to pass a resolution or a motion yeah you would need eight okay votes, so exactly. I'm, I'm opening it up if somebody wants to make the motion to like to uh vote to endorse this today i'm happy to um uh, or if we want to put it put it to um bring it back in may and have a, uh any amendment and or adjustment to the resolution that we think is except that would uh be required i, I think we want this to pass i i would i would think and for speaking for myself um i i would want our we, we need eight votes for the endorsement to pass yeah we have eight people on the days um some of whom might not be comfortable with passing it today i, I think that would be a bad look I, maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm playing six-dimensional chess and I don't need to. I mean, it happens at the Board of Appeals all the time where they'll pass something with provisions and it's just it's noted in the minutes and then you approve the minutes. I mean, procedurally, it is possible to do something today if you're just explicit about the language. I don't feel like we're at a point where where we have the language um, that addresses the concerns yet, though. I mean, certainly that's for your discussion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't think as written or with just you know improvising language on the fly i'd be comfortable with supporting this right now okay so then if um I, I think the puc also would be a hugely impacted party here and be curious what they're with damon because Absolutely. they have a lot of like okay their own natural area management which involves quite a bit of tree removal okay so then why don't we if it well, I, i'd say we bring it to planning and funding and okay. in the interim make can we give give damon an opportunity to to um, input and weigh in from the puc's point of view and then draft language that we think uh addresses the biodiversity goals of the city as well and have that written and to bring back to the next full council so that we can actually take action on it I, i'm certainly in support of bringing it to planning and funding i just i just want to respect the effort that went into, I, I, into the the resolution as it stands so i I'm, I'm trying to envision a plan how we actually move this forward so it's not it's not sort of stuck in the purgatory for months but okay that sounds sounds like it's going sounds like we have a plan to... i think that's the fastest way we can get some okay get get uh you know full support and uh and again, without a meeting next month, I don't think we can bring the, the first time we can bring it back is May. So, 
Okay. Pla planning and funding it is. I think we we've also wanted to hear from from you as the author of this. So uh, when it first came up, uh, we were asking Jesus to invite you. So I'm glad we could be here, and I I think that this was a step that we needed to take. So I move to refer to planning and funding with an invitation to uh, PUC and Rec Park representatives to attend. Uh, yeah, I think as long as that that meets all the meeting requirements, yeah, I, I second and support that idea. So, so we can really get this kind of adjusted the way we need it to. Uh, hearing no further discussion, let's open the up for public comment for this item. Um, uh, please find the instructions for public comment in the agenda at the top of the agenda. Okay. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue for those already on hold in the queue please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak Yeah, can you hear me? Hello, hi. Um, you are audible in the room and your three minutes start now. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Catherine Howard. The Sierra Club supports this resolution. I'm not here as an official representative, but I am a current member of the Conservation Committee and also past member of the Executive Committee and past Northern California Secretary of the Sierra Club State Conservation Committee. Now, speaking personally, I've seen many projects around the city where trees have been removed just because somebody didn't want them there, and I have to also respond to Rec and Park's statement. In my experience, Rec and Park appears to prefer the easier and cheaper approach, cheaper approach of a clear site and not having to deal with those pesky existing trees. This can be illustrated by their original proposal years ago to cut down all of the 100-year-old pollarded trees in front of the band shell in Golden Gate Park to save money in building the underground garage. It took us three years to stop that. We had to landmark the area, including specific language to protect the trees. More recently, there is the unwarranted loss of trees at Washington Square due to poor plans for the playground construction. This resolution just says we must think first before removing one of our most valuable resources, our mature trees. Whenever I hear someone refer to a tree as mature, it is almost always pejorative, implying the tree is teetering on the brink of failure. Yet it is these healthy, mature trees that provide the most environmental benefits. This resolution will help everybody to just slow down and think before removing the magnificent trees that provide these benefits. I hope that you will support it. Thank you. Uh, 
Thank you so much. We have another speaker in the queue. Speak up. Uh, yeah, we can't hear you. Jesus. Oh, I might have to get really close to it. Sorry. Uh, Are there additional folks on? Hi there. Can you hear me? Yep, uh, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hi there. Hi, my name is Rosar Bell. Um, thanks to the council members and thanks to Josh for such a thoughtful and touching presentation. It was really um, pretty broad and um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I myself have been to many removal hearings, tree removal hearings, and it's incredibly disheartening. I repeatedly heard the reason for removing a healthy tree, a mature tree, uh, or a grove of trees uh, as being that they're just inconveniently placed with no intentions of development redesign. And this is a constant. Um, and, you know, considering our recent storms, let us not forget that we're also losing trees and private properties. Um, at my place, for instance, we just lost a 50-foot tree, and um, that's a habitat for wildlife. You know, we need to consider this also. And as a people, especially after this recent devastation, we can't afford to have the removal of more healthy trees. You open your hearing with the honoring to the indigenous people of this land. The city honors with words, but not actions. We have the worst urban canopy of any U.S. citizen, and we should be ashamed of this fact. Listening on this discussion, I'm hearing a lot of fear in these questions, fear of lawsuits, fear of stepping on bureaucratic toes, et cetera. The Climate Action Plan is no longer enough to help our urban canopy. So I ask that you make a strong and brave decision, a strong example to the city, and please adopt this resolution as it is written. Thank you. There are no longer any callers in the queue. Um, public on, comment on this item is closed. Forward to the next item, or are we? Yeah, I don't think we have to take action on the fact that we're bringing this back. All right. Moving forward to item number six, presentation and discussion on the Perkis Agrifolia study. Speaker Johanna Roth, intern at the Department of Public Works. This item is for discussion. Good morning, council members. My name is John Sway with the Bureau of Urban Forestry. I manage our contracts, grants, and initiatives, and I'm very happy to be here to introduce Johanna Roth. She was an intern with Buff last year and uh, primarily working on a study, our native tree study, looking at Quercus agrifolia from our street tree census data. She also performed work helping us design the future street tree nursery. And she also wrote an RFP for a workforce development program that will be operating at the street tree nursery. So 
I just want to say we were very happy to have her. She was a great um, asset to our organization, and she brings a lot of skills. And not only uh, was one master's degree good enough for her, she's pursuing two at Berkeley, public health and in city planning. So I'll let Johanna share her work with you today. Thanks so much for the introduction. <laughs> All right, so thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll be talking a little bit more about our native tree study focused on coastline oak performance in the public right of way in San Francisco. So for this research, um, we centered our analysis primarily around these two questions. Um, our work is agrifolia successfully growing in the city of San Francisco public right of way. And are there any spatial trends uh, where better for performance is in some areas than other areas of San Francisco? And I'll just get into a little bit how this study came to be. So um, these data were first identified by the street tree census. Um, and it was determined that coast live oaks constitute what constituted the largest population of native trees in San Francisco. So they were chosen as a tree for further analysis focused on native tree populations. And so there was uh, several groups of interns before me um, with the help of three different groups of interns. Coast Life Oak data were collected between 2019 and 2021. Um, there was a total of 577 trees in the final survey. And the tree samples included um, only those in the public right of way and do not represent a complete sample of coast live oaks growing in San Francisco. So I just wanted to note that, you know, the sample does not include um, trees in private backyards or deep in parks, um, but just provide a sample overview of the public right of way. And um, due to data availability and quality and relevance, not all data points collected in the initial survey were considered for this analysis. Um, but data included in the report are uh, described broadly in this table and include canopy condition, trunk type, the direction of street what the tree was on, um, the site type, whether there was wildlife present at the time of sampling, and also tree stature. And I wanted to give you a brief overview of the site types because conceptually it can get a little bit confusing talking about all of them. So first up, we have kind of more the open space types, um, hillside, staircase, and park. Um, and we ultimately try to match these site types um, to the category that would most closely capture the tree's growing condition. And we went back and forth a lot, but um, ultimately I think did a um, fair job of Kind of siling these into these different categories. So um, hillside is primarily open spaces on hillsides that are not confined by pavement, growing basins, or staircases. So there's a lot of room to grow for the trees. Staircase trees um, grow in similar conditions but are situated in semi-open settings um, close to staircases with a little bit more confinement, whether that be pavement or stairs. And then the park category includes trees within parks, parklets, urban greenways, and open spaces, and their environment is generally characterized by ample space for tree roots and canopies to expand. 
And it's again important to note here that this category is not a comprehensive list of all quirkus within park in San Francisco. All right, next up, we have um, median setback and street trees, which are a little bit more of our traditional urban tree site types. Um, the median category includes trees which grow in the area between two lanes of traffic. These areas are often um, made of permeable surfaces, but are surrounded by streets, cars, and more constricting environmental factors. The setback category includes areas along the edge of sidewalks or the public right of way. Um, there are areas adjacent to streets or sidewalks with um, spaces that are a bit larger than basins for trees to grow in. And then finally, the street tree category includes trees growing within the public right of way on sidewalks. And this is kind of the traditional street tree that we would think of. I also wanted to give you a brief overview of how we assessed canopy condition. So this was based on the tree leaves and we had the categories full, thin and poor. And these pictures kind of serve as the example what I saw very frequently in the survey pictures, because when the trees were surveyed, pictures were also taken so that we were able to look back at them while we were conducting these analyses. All right, so first up in our analysis, we wanted to look at the spatial distribution of Quercus agrifolia across the city. And this kind of answers our first question, are there spatial trends of Quercus in San Francisco? And I just wanted to note here that this map does not take to, into consideration canopy condition, but rather is just a sample of frequency. And uh, we can see here that the west of San Francisco is a bit sparser than um, the southeast, which has a lot of trees. Um, and the dense areas that really stand out are um, there's some hot spots in the sunset. Uh, Bernal is very highly populated with Quercus, and then the North Beach and the Mission also have a fair amount of trees. Next up, we kind of we're looking at the question of are Quercus successfully growing in San Francisco, and we looked at the distribution of canopy conditions. Um, and used canopy conditions as a proxy for tree health also. So we were really thrilled to find that almost 75% of the trees had a full canopy condition, indicating that Quercus are able to thrive in San Francisco. Um, and I also invite you to take a look at this map. I know it's a little bit hard to see, um, but just generally, um, we're seeing a lot of uh, poor tree health along Sunset Boulevard. Um, so that's kind of stands out with just a couple of thin and poor distributed more evenly across the rest of the city, but there's kind of a hot spot going on in sunset and I'll be talking about that a little bit more later. We were also really interested to see how much of an impact site type had on tree health. Um, so we looked at canopy condition um, by site type and um, here again. The Sunset Boulevard situation is um, a lot of the trees were categorized as growing in a park because that median is just so large that it's almost like a little parklet situation. And those trees, as noted on the last slide, were performing pretty poorly, which probably impacted the fact that parks overall are shown to have the highest percentage of thin canopy trees. Um, other than that, though, we can see that hillside and staircase trees um, have pretty healthy canopies 
and then the setbacks and sidewalks are a little bit less healthy, which is to be expected since there's less growing room. I also conducted a hotspot analysis of canopy conditions. So the hotspot analysis shows if observed spatial clustering of high or low values is more pronounced than one would expect in a random distribution of those same values. So basically it identifies um, clustering of healthy or unhealthy trees. And again, here we see that Sunset Boulevard has really significant clustering of poor canopy conditions. And we see pretty healthy trees in Bernal and in the Mission. And this just kind of, you know, can highlight that um, we should look a little bit further into what's going on at Sunset Boulevard. Um, there might be some other environmental factors contributing to the tree health there. Um, and next up, we also wanted to look at some other growing conditions that might have impacts on tree health, aside from site type and the spatial distribution across the city. So one of the um, fields that were surveyed in the survey were trunk type. So the majority of trees sampled were single stemmed, which was not surprising because being in a confined space in the urban right of way, they might not have the opportunity to expand and grow. But we did find that multi-stemmed um, trees had better canopy conditions than single stemmed. Again, speaking kind of to maybe a, a more confined growing space. We also noted presence of wildlife. Um, so this is in line with a lot of what we hear today about supporting biodiversity in San Francisco. Um, what was really exciting is that most Quercus had wildlife present at the time of visit. Um, these wildlife were most frequently noted as being birds and insects, um, but there is more of an opportunity to look further into this because the sample was only taken at one point throughout the study. So um, this would be a really interesting study to move forward with to see what type of wildlife and how frequently they're visiting these trees. But overall, very encouraging results. We also wanted to take into account environmental conditions. Um, so we looked a little bit into this fog map, um, noting that a lot of the trees that were not performing super well were within this fog line. But we also recognize that this is not a comprehensive or <laughs> super strong finding, um, but just call to look at a little bit more at microclimates and fogs impact on quirks acrifolia. We also collected information on the direction of street that the tree was on as a proxy for sun and wind exposure, um, noting that north south running tree streets had the healthiest trees. Um, but again, some further analysis would help with solidifying those results. And then finally, um, wrapping it up a little bit. So the coast live oaks are successfully growing in San Francisco's public right of way, which is really exciting to see. Um, and we did see that there was kind of an underperforming of trees on the western side of the city versus the east, also noting that there just aren't that many trees and they're mostly limited to Sunset Boulevard, which is a big street and might be imposing other environmental conditions on them. Um, we also found that site type is not the only determinant of tree canopy and health. So again, we're referring primarily to those Sunset Boulevard trees that were categorized as park. They were performing pretty poorly, even though they did have those 
ample growing conditions that we would um, expect to have a great impact on canopy health. And there are a number of opportunities for future studies. Um, so looking a little bit further into those environmental effects, um, looking further into biodiversity and urban wildlife and how native trees such as Quercus agrifolia can support those goals. And then we also noted that there seems to be a lot of genetic variation and sourcing of trees within San Francisco. So getting a little bit more into where the trees came from that are doing well and what their genetic makeup is could be a really interesting study moving forward. Um, and then of course, these findings can be used to um, support future research on other native trees in San Francisco to support our native tree goals and biodiversity. And then finally, now that we know that Coast Life Oaks can perform well in the city. Um, there's also an opportunity to develop planting and maintenance strategy to support this vital species to thrive in San Francisco. And that was it. So thank you so much for the opportunity to speak here and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thanks for the presentation. Thanks for coming. Uh, as a takeaway, what's what, what would you see as the best spot for a coast live oak to grow in San Francisco? Then, like on that eastern side of the city, with with what kind of exposure, or what what were some of your like senses of the the best locations? My sense was that they thrive in kind of more open spaces. Um, they can certainly grow as street trees. Um, here I can. Pull up the slide really quickly. So they can definitely thrive as street trees as well, but we saw that the areas like hillsides and staircases have a little bit more space and they seem to like that. So when they're kind of, you know, how their branches kind of really grow wide. Um, so when that's not as inhibited, they seem to be doing a little bit better. It's really hard to say from this sample if the trees would not be doing well at all on um, the western side of the city because that sample is just so limited to um, Sunset Boulevard and there's a lot of pollution going on there and a lot of cars. So it's it's hard to say what exactly is contributing to them not doing well. Um, but it seems like generally along the eastern edge of the city, um, they're performing very well specifically in bigger growing basins and um, large medians and such. And as I understand it, the the data set was limited just to street street or but trees in the public right away, right? And yeah, even though so you have a park category, it doesn't include parks. It doesn't didn't so, include. Um, yeah. So here I'll pull up. Actually, um, basically, it does include small parks and park edges, but it's not like does not include like deep within the Golden Gate Park or the super rugged park conditions that you might expect to see like in a national park, but it does include parklets, smaller parks, park edges. So um, you can think of the space of a park tree in this sample to be pretty unrestricted with very little impacts just of like a growing basin or um, yeah, like a growing basin or pavements around it. Yeah, and so just sort of to answer next question anecdotally like we we have reckon park has um you know the vast majority of our well not including golden uh, mclaren park but but a, a large portion of our of our open space is in the western portion of the city and our, our oaks seem to be doing very well out there mm -hmm. so um you know 
mind the data set limitations of this when you're trying yeah. to draw conclusions. The, the, uh, the, the same for the Presidio, which is in the flower bed as well, where we've got a lot of thriving oaks. A, a great presentation. And one, one question that often comes up in the context of street trees with, with Coast Live Oak um, is the street buckling aspect. And I wondered if you'd looked at, it, at that at all. Um, it's it's a question that's people. I think it may be a myth, but I'm curious if you if you looked at that. Um, so that data point was not included in this analysis, but I think it would definitely be worth it. A past intern had also noted that looking at the so soil types that the trees are growing in and seeing if that has any impact on their performance would be interesting as well. Um, but yes, was not included in this particular study. Were you able to, and maybe Nick can answer the question whether this information exists, um, was there any data available on Coast Live Oaks that were planted and then were not there when the survey was done? Yeah, so there was, um, basically, I didn't get into this because I didn't want to spend too much time on my data cleaning, um, but I'll just pull up the slide really quickly. So at the time of the survey, um, it was noted um, basically based on the 2017 tree census, um, whether there was a Coast Life Oak there or not. And then in this follow-up survey, it was noted whether that Coast Life Oak was dead or missing. Missing could mean that it's been removed without a permit or that it had been misidentified previously. Um, so we excluded those data points from this analysis um, just for the purpose of seeing where they're thriving and because we didn't have enough data to really decide um, what that missing category really meant, like if it was because it had been removed or it was a different tree. Um, but doing another follow-up survey after this and seeing if any of those full canopy condition trees have declined or if any of those poor canopy condition trees have recovered, I think would be really valuable. But um, this analysis was basically just um, based on one follow-up visit for these Quercus, so we um, can't really say. <clears throat> sure, but you probably can guess why I'm asking, right, which is, if we're trying to figure out what kinds of things, what kinds of factors make a coastal oak more likely to be successful, then we do have to look at those that were not successful. <laughs> Otherwise, we have what you've probably heard of survivorship bias. Absolutely, right? yeah. So, so, so it's it's a kind of a major deal if you're trying to say, in order to have a successful coastal oak, here's the factors that were associated with it. But if you only look at the ones that are alive, then you don't know that maybe you had a whole bunch of them that failed and figuring out what factors are associated with that would be, I think, useful, right? If, if we're Absolutely. trying to- Yeah, so, and for this data set also, um, there, I forget how many dead trees there were, but I believe it was only four or like a very, very small number, which is why we ended up dropping it from the sample. And then we also, when a tree had been cut down, it was, just for this survey, we didn't know if it had been cut down because it was sick or because someone just didn't want it anymore. Um, so we didn't feel confident that we could say that every removed tree had actually been a sick tree. Um, and this is where follow-up surveys would be really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, thank you for your presentation. Uh, um, I just, is there a data, or do you look into data where how poor or how well a tree does regarding, is a tree actively managed by somebody, meaning care or watering, especially if they're younger, or is it, do you have that information, or you just, how you collect data by visiting site and observation only? Yeah, so this is something that we also talked about a lot because obviously it has a great impact on tree health. Um, so for this survey, um, actually all the data were collected before my time um, over that 2019 to 2021 period um, just by single site visits to those trees. Um, we don't have information specifically on the management of the trees in the sample, but definitely that is something that would be really interesting moving forward. Yeah, I would, I would assume if somebody really watching this tree and uh, some neighbors really care for it, it make a big difference, especially when the trees are growing, uh, when they're younger, before it's actually established into a, a certain stature at all. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Did you find any additions to the data, like seedlings that just sprouted on their own or maybe people planted something? Yeah, so they were, there were definitely some trees that were like little sprouts that didn't look necessarily like they were super intentionally put there, or maybe they were, but, um, you know, there was no record that I knew of of them like being planted purposely by the city. Um, we didn't, ha we basically had a field on stem size, but overall, it wasn't consistently filled out for the data. So something that I'd also noted for a future study that would be really interesting is just noting the size of the tree. Um, basically the full pore thin canopy was still applied to seedlings. So if it was a healthy, healthy seedling, it came up as being full canopied, but having a little bit more nuance with tree age or size would be um, also very interesting for <laughs> future studies. If I may, um, just wanted to speak to uh, Member Lachin's point. Uh, so when, Tri thank you so much um, for your presentation, Johanna. When Triana presented this, um, with whom we worked, with whom John and I worked before, um, we had not collected the data, like the various um, variables um, for the trees that were missing. And so we, you know, we. Triana presented that, and then we responded to your comment and, and went back and collected that data after the fact. However, it's another layer of work for public works to go down and, and look at all those trees in the history and figure out like why they're missing and et cetera. So, so that would be a next step. Got it. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you for the presentation. Thank you. Um, I think we need to open for public comment. All right, hearing no further discussion, let's open up for public comment on this item. Um, we will begin public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Is there any <laughs> public commenters in the room? No? Okay. Um, 
Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. We don't currently have any callers in the queue, but we'll give everyone a moment to call in. Again, the public comment instructions are at the first page at the top of the agenda. Looking at me. No, no. Sorry. No comment. All right. Okay. Uh, Seeing none, uh, I'm, oh, sorry, I lost track. See no further callers in the queue. Public comment item on the public comment on this item is now closed. Um, just one point of order. I'm gonna, I think I'm supposed to be, um, I've got a conflict at 11, so I'm hoping we can, uh, I don't want to, we're not gonna, I don't want us to lose quorum. Um, but if we can proceed to the next, uh, to the next item. Yep. All right. Um, Next item is a staff report on recent work performed by the urban forestry program on behalf of the urban forestry council. Speaker Jesus Lozano, that's me. Um, so again, on the explanatory documents is the list of open council seats. Those seats are still open. We have a, a few um, applications in, including Josh who presented here earlier. Um, so if you have any other contacts, please share that out. I recently, um, been working on talking to a few other folks um, regarding this, just doing outreach. Um, I connected with uh, some folks from over at a living library um, and at literacy for environmental justice, um, as just well as in interviewing some previous uh, council members, just to see if they have any recommendations for folks. Um, no new applications yet, but we're working on one person, his name is Antonio Moreno, who is a gardener with um, a living library. So we may see his application in soon. Um, that is um, just to keep this moving. That's what I'll, I'll, I'll stop. And I, I would just um, add if any of council members, if, if there's, if you have recommendations or if you want to train folks who you think would be uh, good additions to the council, if you don't have the, if you need help understanding the process or pointing somebody to it, just reach out to Jesus. All right. Um, if there's any discussion for this item or not, we can move forward to public comment. No. Hearing no further discussion, um, we'll proceed to remote public comment because there's no one left in the room. Uh, members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Yes.
All right. I uh, see nobody in the queue. Public comment for this item is now closed. Andrew, with your permission, we can move on to the next item. Yep, let's do it. All right. <coughs> item number eight, Urban Forestry Council member announcements. This item is for discussion. Anyone have any announcements to make just to the broader of the conference? Happy spring equinox. Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> I... I'd be remiss not to mention that we just had a, a ton of failures this week. We had uh, 756 limbs or whole trees down in nine hours Tuesday night. Um, and then we broke 900 the next day. Uh, so most of them are, are limbs, but we did encounter some major failures, which uh, were, was unexpected. I, I, if I had to guess what would happen, I, I was going to think, uh, uh, trees that we had been watching w would potentially be the ones that we, we would see failing or a lot of ficus failures or Chinese elms, which um, we've been dealing with. But then the, this week's storm uh, was just just whole trees collapsing that uh, um, seemed to be in good shape. It never would have raised a red flag for us. Um, so as a result of that, we're we're going back as a team to review some some things and see if there's any patterns we could identify and uh, try to find ways to reduce the number of failures. But it has been just a kind of somber time for us losing so many trees and especially some favorite ones. So uh, we've got some numbers that we've been sharing with the press and I'll share that with you, Jesus, and then also some more stuff that we're getting. Um, so. I definitely think that'd be a great topic of discussion for us. Yeah, agreed. Okay, now open it to public. All right, hearing no further discussion, we'll open up for public comment on this item. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Again, there is no one on the queue, but we'll wait. On a, a little bit, just to see if anyone joins the call. Okay. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is now closed. Andrew, with your permission, you can yep. move on Let's to the next, next item. item. All right, agenda item number nine, new business and future agenda items. This item is for discussion. Council members can introduce new agenda items for future consideration by the council. I just want to note uh, going into this that we did mention we'll be bringing back today's first uh, item number five to full council at the following meeting. Um, and then that there has been um, already um, in today's announcements, some discussion on uh, tree failures due to the storms all throughout this year. Uh, we've reached out to a lot of folks to get uh, data points on this and um, we'll be bringing this as well to hopefully the main meeting for full discussion. We've had a few members of the public also request that we cover it. Um, and, um, yeah, so that just know that that's coming. Um, I would also add the uh, we had the discussion about bylaws, and I think one of the issues might be around quorum and see if there's a way to kind of um, propose adjustments to the uh, bylaws regarding quorum. 
And um, what was the other bylaws item? Right. Yeah. So um, for the May meeting, we intend to bring uh, bylaw updates, um, uh, changing the the regular meeting location for uh, all of our committee meetings. So we'll be able to meet without uh, publishing special um, special meeting notices and uh, some other updates to hopefully allow um, other members of the council to stand in as committee members to help us meet quorum for some of those. Um, so if you would like any other bylaw um, updates to be made, please let me know so we can get those drafted in advance of our next meeting. Okay. The only other item I was going to um, reiterate is, you know, I know we had a lot, a lot of conversation last meeting about the uh, strategic plan and kind of council goals and all of that. So I don't want to let that fall off. And I think at some point, you know, probably ahead of the next meeting, we should start Jesus getting at least circulating some, some uh, doodle or, or doc that like can start targeting a date, even if it's, you know, presumably in the mid late summer so that we can get people's calendars sorted if necessary. Yes. And we also talked, I think maybe either last meeting or the two meetings ago about some sort of onboarding process for the new members. Um, I'm not sure if that's something we want to discuss further or recommend, but um, that, uh, that was something we, we chatted about. I thought there was a pretty good discussion about that, trying to make sure that the new members have um, all the documents at their disposal. Uh, I don't know if that means creating like a library of the documents or something like that, that we can, we can provide to them upon their um, inclusion in the council and maybe some sort of, I don't know, way to, way to, way to get them up to speed. Yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned that in the work <laughs> conducted by me. Uh, I've been collecting all of those documents and working on making like a, a single sheet just to make those easier to navigate um, and just like main points to cover. Um, and then I'm taking notes from our previous meeting to include into into that. Uh, so yeah, that's in. I'm I'm making that already. All right. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Any further discussion? All right, um, here no for the discussion. We're opening up uh, for public comment on this item. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. We have no callers in the queue at the moment, but I will wait until 11.04. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is now closed. I think we can then go on to item 10, adjournment. Right. Hey, all right. Hey, the, made it. the meeting is adjourned. The time is 11.04 a.m. Thank you for joining us. I can last. All right.